Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm joined by all three of Opal's co-founders. Julie Church, Nutrition Director, Community Relations Director. Kara Bazzi, Clinical Director. Dr. Lexi Giblin, Executive Director. And we are talking about love. Love. <laughs> so traditionally, love has been defined through many different categories. But Lexi, you in particular have gotten excited about this topic because you've been introduced to some new ways of thinking about it. Is that right? Yeah. So maybe just more non-traditional ways of thinking about love. And so I thought we could take a love tour today, make our way through four different types of love. I thought we could start by talking about ame'e, and it's a uniquely Japanese term. And there really isn't a great translation to the English language, which is interesting that we don't have a clear word for what this is. And so in ame'e, it's a need where you are expressing a need to be loved. So it's a bid for cherishment, in other words. Like my dog Zoe flipping over onto her back for me to pet her tummy when she sees me, knowing that I will, of course, would love to pet her and love on her. So this is her request. It's a way that we communicate from heart to heart because you, when you're expressing an interest in receiving love from somebody, you're trusting that they're going to be there on the other side of the love. And it's indirect and certainly coy. If it were to be direct, if Ama'e were to be direct, it would say, show me love. <laughs> and I had an experience with my daughter recently to give you an example of what this looks like. She was helping me get groceries out of the back of the car. And as she was helping me, she tripped on something. And instead of catching herself, she fell into me, <laughs> even though she could have very easily caught herself. And when she fell into me, of course, I was there and she knew I would be there. And while she was there, I gave her a hug and asked her, you know, what just happened there? Because she just kind of plopped in my arms and she said, oh, I just knew you would be there. So I thought oh. I'd just let myself fall. <laughs> to me, that was a really beautiful moment of ama eh where she knew that I would be there and she wanted some love and set up a situation so that I could show her my love for her. That sounds really sweet. It also reminds me a little bit of the more traditional category of storge. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's like kind of more of a familial love in a way. Mm. But this has such a sweet kind of bid for care and attention and ad you use the word cherishment. Mm -hmm. I was going to say admiration just now, but I've never even heard that word cherishment before. Oh, yeah. Young Brule and Bethelhard have done some work around translating this need into the English language, and that's the word that they, they use that most closely describes it. But I still think it's, it's not quite, as you read more about Ama, it, it just cherishment doesn't quite capture it either. But it's just such a sweet expression of love, mm. to know you're going to be loved on the other side. Mm. Do you all have examples of that in your, in your life? The one that came to my mind is, especially in hearing the word koi, too, I was thinking of my youngest daughter, and we have kind of a joke in our family. We call it her baggy face. 
like she's looks like she's begging, but she puts out her lower lip and gets her eyes real big. And she has these big, beautiful blue eyes. And so we basically kind of respond by giving her whatever she wants when she gives us that face. <laughs> she knows she's going to expect a warm response and she gets a warm response. And it again, it doesn't feel like she uses it for manipulation. It's more of a just a joyful exchange between her and me or her and my husband. So I don't know if that does fit, but yes, that's what that's beautiful. And I that's love what comes. I mind. love that example. I mean, it's manipulative in in one way, but in another way, it's absolutely both of you are in on the ama'e, which is exactly what ama'e is. Is yeah. what both parties are are in on it, right? And I, when I say she gets what she wants, I don't mean like something else. She gets attention. Mm-hmm. She gets an expression of our own love back towards her. Mm-hmm. Adoration. I was thinking how that, to me, how that intersects with Storge is that it's not based on any kind of personal qualities. It's not dependent, right? Like that love is just given out of familiarity. Mm-hmm. There's an established relationship. Right. And that's the person knows that there's love on the other side. Right. So they can make a bid for it and pretty much guarantee that they'll they'll get some love back. Yeah. So I'm curious if this plays out in different kinds of relationships. Is this one that you would say is like mostly with like parents and kids or? I know that's what I was, I was wondering too. To I was thinking, them. is it, is this, would this express itself outside of parental? I think of, I mean, animals is a good example of pets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I wonder if this would also be seen. I mean, if it's familiarity, I wonder if this would be seen between partners or if I think be... it's it's all over the place. Yeah. In close in relationships. In close relationships. In close yeah. relationships. Because I can think of romantic partners and how they do how they do this as well. Mm-hmm. When I was in a relationship, I used to say things like, Oh, you know you love me. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of playful bit. Yeah. yeah. And I knew if I said that I would get love in return, even though it was in the middle of maybe a tense moment. It was a way of bringing Mm-hmm. Tension. I think that's an example that I can come up with in my own, in my own life. Mm-hmm. And what are what's the next category? Well, let's go on to irrationally crazy love. <laughs> <laughs> I like that phrase. Yeah. So this is coined by Yuri Bronfenbrenner in the '90s. He said that in order to develop intellectually, emotionally, socially, and morally. A child requires participation in progressively more complex reciprocal activity on a regular basis over an extended period in the child's life with one or more persons with whom the child develops a strong, mutual, irrational, emotional attachment and who is committed to the child's well-being and development, preferably for life. That's a lot of words. What does that mean? (laughs) So in other words, every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about them. And does it have to be a parent? No. A child? It doesn't. Okay. Because we have irrational love, irrational craziness about pets, children, sports teams. Mm -hmm. Howard Schultz last week apologized for taking the Sonics away from Seattle many years ago and I was I heard him and I said apology not accepted (laughs) I'm so hard I am hurt for life about that the Mm. Sonics leaving Mm. just this irrational craziness even though it's just a sports team and Mm. you know but it just they run deep Mm -hmm. they run deep 
Can you guys think of any examples? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I probably have that within my parenting relationship with my kids. Yeah, it How just old are feels your kids? really. They're ten, seven, and four boys, and they stretch me constantly. <laughs> yeah, I still want to be around them. I still want to <laughs> make memories with them. I still want to give them everything I have and all my time and my heart. But it is not feel rewarding at this season for me at all. Mm-hmm. Even, I guess, on the way here to the studio, I dropped my children off at three different places. And I was like, oh, wait, I want to be with you little four-year-old Wally who's driving me berserkos all weekend. (laughs) Yes. Sounds like a perfect example, Julie. (laughs) And we're a day and a half into snow days in addition to our weekend. Yes. Yeah. It's a great example. Despite all of their antics, you're loving them. Mm -hmm. Usually if people are provoking us or doing things that we don't want them to do, we back off. But here's a good example. You don't want to back off. Mm -hmm. You want to be with them as much as you possibly can. I think that is such a great example for this category. (laughs) Yeah. Hoping, hoping. I mean, that that, that love will be felt, right? Mm -hmm. They will have that. Oh, they will. Right? Yeah. Your love is felt by them. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you could do? a pure, perfect love, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) It's irrationally crazy. Parenting not (laughs) at its finest is what's happening in my household right now. It sounds... (laughs) Like parenting at its finest. Uh, maybe if we're talking about this irrational stuff. Is there anything that they could do to right. lose right. your it, love? No. Right. Nothing. No. No. Right. It seems like they're really trying, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I this topic and this category of love reminds me of something from RODBT. How you isn't there something about how you just need like one close person? Yeah, right. One of the tenets of psychological health is to have um, social connectedness with at least one person who would self-sacrifice on your behalf without expecting anything in return. So yeah, I think we're talking about irrational craziness there. Mm -hmm. So what happens without that? Is that too cynical of me to ask? (laughs) Because If you you don't have someone who is irrationally crazy about you. Because some parents aren't irrationally crazy about their kids. I would just say that you'd be at risk for mental health Mm -hmm. struggles, more at risk for mental health struggles if you don't have one person who's irrationally crazy about you. Not necessarily that you would have mental health problems, but you're more likely to. I just think of high-risk behavior. Like maybe that's linked to mental health, but that's like when I think of what somebody doesn't, if somebody's not loved, then they're trying in some places or arenas of life to get attention or get attachment or whatever it might be. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard something once. I was st- <laughs> It was from a, a, some sort of continuing education class or something that I was studying and talking about how we don't just need a healthy attachment. We need a joyful attachment in order for us to actually feel safe in the world, uh, that there has to be that sort of similar, oh, I'm so excited to see you, uh, rather than just, oh, yeah, I can rely on you. It has to have some of that joyful playfulness in it as well that I think speaks to the irrational craziness. <laughs> and that would make us feel safe, secure. Mm-hmm. Do you think the irrational craziness would also be synonymous with Storge? I think so. I mean, Seems I think like it would be in that category, too. I would think that it would be in that category. Definitely not an expert on Storge, but I do think that the cool thing about 
this irrational craziness is that it has sort of a particular feeling attached to it, whereas Storge doesn't go as far as to describe the, like, excitement of it all and the the nutso feeling that you would have in loving someone. It would just be that actual familial attachment. Mm-hmm. So that the love that you would have for your brother, the love that you'd have for your uncle because they're your uncle, not necessarily because you're just diehard crazy about them. Yeah, like both Irrational Crazy and Amae make me think of like a secure attachment that Storge would provide. Mm-hmm. And then here's different expressions of this secure attachment. Yeah, I like that. Different energy levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It even could be something that you bring into different kinds of love. If you're irrationally crazy, that could be part of a sort of friendship type love, or it could be part of an erotic kind of love, or it could be part of a practical kind of love. Again, the feeling rather than the actual bond of the relationship. So what's the next one, Lexi? Well, let's talk about radically open kindness since we were just talking about psychological health. So it's related to what we just spoke about, which is where we think about kindness being different from niceness or compassion. And in kindness, from an RO perspective, it's telling a good friend a painful truth or helping someone without ever expecting anything in return. So it's not necessarily telling somebody what they want to hear. It's telling the person what maybe they need to hear. And it's less about making the person, other person feel better necessarily. It's, it's more of a growth-oriented love where you're willing to say hard things to the person, you're willing to give the gift of truth, and you're doing so because you love them, you care about them, you want the best for them, and therefore your kindness is born out of that care and love. But it's more like a tough love. And it differs from compassion because compassion is a response to suffering. And you can give kindness whether or not a person is suffering. So it's not necessarily a reaction to a state. It's given regardless of what the person might be experiencing. When you're describing that, I think of moments where that happens at Opal, between clients especially, and some of the conversation actually that's happened recently there of folks feeling resistance towards some of that if they haven't been asking for it, asking to be challenged or asking to be called up that it's being offered without the invitation being given. I don't know. What do you think about that, Lindsay? Mm, It's interesting. Like a formal invitation? Right. If somebody is giving the gift of truth without being asked by the recipient to be given the gift of truth. Like like there's just been some tricky dynamics that have been at play, exactly with that particular dynamic recently. Yeah. I mean, I think you would need a really strong foundation to your relationship if you're going to give gift of truth. and. I would be kind to you and give you gift of truth, but I haven't asked you if that's okay. I guess I kind of just know mm-hmm. that you would be okay with that, but that's because we have a relationship, an existing relationship. We're not wanting to just hear what the other person wants to hear, mm-hmm. right? It's it's more about calling the person up and growing, and I wouldn't want to not know something that you were feeling about me or thinking about me. I wouldn't want you to hold that from me. I don't feel like that would be kind. If my close relationships, if people weren't telling me something. Yeah, a lot of people just think that you're supposed to be 
nice. Right. And I love this this differentiation between the two because kindness actually has that sort of higher interest for the other person when offering truth. You're you're asking them to be more or letting them know that you think that they could be more. You are offering them growth mm-hmm. rather than just niceties and platitudes and keeping things surface. Would you think there's a lot of people that do live life without that though? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Great. I for sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. I think that a lot of people live life like that because it's really risky both to get feedback mm-hmm. and to give feedback. Yeah. I think that's one of the unique things I see at Opal, though, that people having that happen in their life for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's disorienting at times, and then I think some people catch on to it and want to be in hot seat and facing fears group when people just give them that kind of feedback. But Oh, yeah, we should say what hot seat is. <laughs> hot seat is the activity in the group that you lead, Lexi, yeah, yeah. where one person is on the spot and then everyone gives them feedback. Mm-hmm. Right? Did you say right? that's our own kindness? For sure. And right? we intro- always introduce the topic of hot seat through the lens of our kindness mm-hmm. so that everyone's coming into that hot seat space with kindness. So any comments that are being made are in the interest of the person's growth. Mm-hmm. If they're comments that are not in the interest of the person's growth, then they're not to be not to be made. If there's meanness or spite or schadenfreude or anything like that in the mix, it's not allowed. Well, I I would imagine that delivery is a really important part of giving that type of feedback, Mm -hmm, right? Right. How someone would share that because it can elicit conflict and more disruption in a relationship if it's poorly, I would say, delivered poorly. It would just be so hard to give real truth to another person if you don't have a relationship established you know right. I, it just it wouldn't work very well if i was just out of nowhere to give right. feedback to a stranger so it's all within the context of that mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. and all the the building of the connection before and after and the following up right. afterwards and the you know checking in list- on how it was landed yeah the listener like there's has to be trust that the motivation behind it is out of care it's interesting because this category of love and kindness seems like an action that you take within mm-hmm. a loving relationship mm-hmm. or a relationship that has some sort of love and care, whereas the other categories we've talked about so far, again, feel more of like a, maybe more of an attitude. Uh-huh. And this is like a really wonderful way to l- learn how to love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the last stop okay. on the tour? So the last stop <laughs> is... Maybe what we traditionally think of as falling in love, and it's the state of limerence, which is the state of being infatuated or obsessed with another person. So it's what a lot of us are seeking, you know, in our lives. We want to feel that feeling of euphoria that you have when you're falling in love with someone. So typically, limerence involves idolization, right? You're not seeing the other person as they actually are. You have them, you have them on a pedestal, and it's often involving fantasy as well because you think something is happening that's actually not happening. <laughs> and when you're in limerence, you become hyper-focused on the person. You just almost, the rest of the world kind of falls out around the person you're feeling love towards and falling in love with. And you're often, when you're in limerence, looking for uh, clues from the other person that they feel the same way that you do. 
So it's this, what do you think this text meant, right? <laughs> asking your, it's asking your friend, how do you read this? And it's very, just overwhelmingly focused on this feeling in this person, almost to the point where it can be annoying to be around if you're not also not in love, <laughs> if you're not falling in love yourself. Because it just feels like you're sitting with somebody in a fantasy world who's going to have a hard crash at the end when reality sets in and the person becomes a real, real human being. This seems to be the kind of love that is celebrated, obviously, most during Valentine's Day season, where it's all about the Cupid's bow and the, all about the who's your crush and what's the date you're on and... You know, here's some sexy chocolates or something. <laughs> I don't know why chocolates are so sexy, but this is the kind that's so so celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. More than, I would say, even like kind of long-term committed love gets yeah. celebrated during this season. Mm -hmm. It's all about the limerence and euphoria of love. I'm smiling because even just talking about it, I, I, I love the feeling of limerence, like the euphoric... <laughs> Hi, I I would call this like the way I've always related to this is calling it the chase. I like the Ooh. chase. Ooh, Kara, <laughs> I was I like that was always my favorite part in high school was the chase and looking for the clues. I loved looking for the clues. Like that part was so interesting to me. And then as soon as the chase was over, the the interest became less exciting. So I think of the state again. That kind of high or the heart racing and the the adrenaline that yeah. comes with limerence. You don't, you don't. I like I like adrenaline. So that <laughs> I liked seeking it, whether it was in that way or doing some roller coaster or skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> Yet you don't need as much sleep when you're in love. Sometimes your <laughs> hunger signals are are dampened as well when you're in limerence. I'm like giggling over here because I'm so in my parenting world. And it seriously is what I see in my seven-year-old about video games. Like it mm. is hysterical <laughs> how much he is just so obsessed with it and how that's blocking. Like I don't I don't see any affection or love towards me because all he cares about is the video game and having time <laughs> with the video game. And I mean, it's just that focus that when you're around people that are in limerence, I'm like, yeah, that's totally what he I'm like, he is so obsessed and in love with that video game. Well, they design the, those games and they design social media for the same I sort know. of hit. Totally. You know? Anyways, so that's the limerence in my home, in my household. Right now. <laughs> that's the limerence. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, it's obsession. And fantasy. I mean, the I think fan the fantasy part also stands out of there's something nice that fantasy brings us because we can be creative and make up stories in our head and create fantasies that aren't going to ever happen in reality mm -hmm. it's pleasurable it's pleasure yeah so with this being the the love that's often i would say maybe celebrated or revered idealized certainly the most what do you think is lost if this is the one that we we mm. think of most when we hear the word love or being in love I, for, for me it feels like with coming of age and moments of limerence and those times then if that's all you ever think it is it's not allowing for us to age and mature and take in new experiences. <laughs> I think if that's what it's supposed to be, then you're just going to keep on the chase, I guess. But I just think of that as like something's you can't build on your own wisdom and experiences and allow for the strength of a relationship to go beyond just that. 
Totally. If that's our expectation in a long-term relationship, it creates a lot of disappointment and it could be, your relationship could be more pathologized if you think that that's what it's supposed to be about. It just isn't true. There's so much in the way that youth is put on the pedestal and then with that is love and sexuality and all of this with the youth. I don't know. And I just think there's something with that that's missed. I mean, it idealizes different phase of life, different type of relationship. It also, I think, it sort of is a moment in time, which is why I think that, that this kind of love is so powerful in and of itself because it's so intense for a moment in time. Like there, We've talked about so many different types of love that actually feel really special and dear. And this one is lovely, but it, it also is not the full picture. Mm-hmm. If you've experienced the other kinds of love, this can actually start feeling kind of flat. If you start knowing, like, oh, that's just kind of, it's beautiful and fun, but then what? Mm -hmm. The bubble gets burst. All of them are important. I also actually was just thinking as you're saying that, like, I was thinking of Esther Perel, who's a sex therapist. And even she talks about a lot about infidelity and how I think one of the things she's trying to do is how do you bring some limerence into a long-term relationship? That's also exciting, too, to see how all these types of love are really valuable. I mean, within, if we're talking about a partnership and how do you bring in some of that limerence when there's no longer like an actual fantasy of the relationship, but how do you kind of create that? How do you get creative within a, a long-term relationship? So I think that's interesting to see it, her work through that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that speaks to just how important it is within, yeah, like you said, a romantic relationship to be able to sort of create and value all these different kinds of love. But I think it also then goes back to the way that limerence itself and romantic love is so valued in our culture that I think that once people have that, they sometimes can start devaluing the other kinds of love in a way that is really unhelpful or limiting, at least, to the different parts of self that actually could receive a lot, a lot of satisfaction from familial love, friendship, from all different kinds of experiences that aren't within that romantic relationship that maybe was idealized. And I think of when you come out of limerence, because you can be in limerence for months. It's not it's not necessarily a short state. I guess that is short. But, <laughs> but when you come out of limerence and you realize that the person you're with is actually has faults and the love that you have is is not euphoric anymore it can be quite a quite a hit quite a disappointment sadness and people may um, misinterpret the coming out of that as a sign that the relationship is no longer solid and a good one to stay in so there may be some misinterpretation Mm -hmm. when moving out of limerence what it means the other thing i i guess just to name because i relate to it is we, we didn't talk about self-love, but knowing that that's one of the categories, I think self-love relates to a lot of these four loves that, that Lexi's teaching us on. It affects the way all of these get played out with where we are with our own self and our own love towards ourself. I know it certainly has for me, especially in the course of my long-term relationship with my husband. Are you irrationally crazy about yourself? Great question. But I I mean, I do. I feel like I've grown so much in self-love. It has changed how I can see myself loving David and my kids and all of that. I see the quality of my love changing the more that I've loved myself. So I don't know 
where it totally fits in these four categories, but it certainly has shifted things. To be irrationally crazy about yourself, that would mean showing up for yourself, caring for yourself every day, despite all the things that you do, all the mistakes that you make, and all the problems that you cause, (laughs) but still caring for yourself. So in a sense, I wonder if we are, when we're we're tending to ourselves well, we are irrationally crazy (laughs) towards ourselves. Thanks so much for joining us on this conversation and tour of love. If you would like to learn more about Opal Food and Body Wisdom, visit us online at opalfoodandbody.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Opal Food and Body. Thank you so much to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Thanks. <laughs>